It's four weeks until Christmas Day. Actually, it was four weeks from yesterday. Now, I, I get some of your responses, but what I was going to ask was, what were the thoughts that popped into your head when I said, it's four weeks until Christmas Day? Some of you clapped. Some of you maybe thought, oh, wow. There's a lot to do. There's a lot that has to get done. Maybe there's a lot that's going to happen that has to happen in a pretty short period of time. I'll be honest, this only, this only became the intro to the sermon yesterday because I had that thought yesterday and I thought all of those things pretty much. Some of you, some of you might be thinking, I can't wait till it's over. Because Andy Williams can sing, it's the most wonderful time of the year, all he wants, all the time. But the fact is, for many people, it's not. For a lot of reasons, but one of them is because of all the stress that comes between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And there's a lot of other reasons too, but one is stress. Now, a man named Dr. George Beard, he wrote a book and it's called this. It's called American Nervousness, Its Causes and Its Consequences. And in the book, Dr. Beard, he states, the speed of our lives is directly tied to the speed of our ability to communicate. The faster we can communicate with one another, the faster our lives move. He argues in the book that because of communication technology, um, the speed with which we're able to do business, get a lot of different tasks done, both in business and in personal life, and communicate with, with each other, the speed has gone up and up and up and up. But as it has, so also has stress and anxiety and depression in our country. Sound about right? Yeah. Now, Dr. Beard wrote that book in 1881, 140 years ago. And you know the communication tech he was talking about? The telegraph. He said the telegraph would cause life to speed up so much that it would cause all that. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what this means, but I'm just telling you facts, okay? Telegraph, it communicated at a, at a speed of three bits per second. Okay? Fast forward about 100 years to in the 80s when the internet was first starting up, we got up to speeds of 1,000 bits per second. Now, 2021, just call up Comporium, they'll bring you Wi-Fi, and the Wi-Fi we have here is 20 million bits per second. And that's not even anything super special. It's far from the top level. So if he wrote that in 1881, you think it's true today? Yeah, the speed of life has increased, and so has our stress. And it's not just because of all the information flying at us at, at lightning speeds. It's also because we feel like with more speed, we can get more done and accomplish more. And we love words like finished, complete, ready, done, prepared. We like those words in general about tasks, but we also like to apply them and use them when we're talking about ourselves. Now, into all of that, everything, all the information, all the speed, I just want to drop out of thin air Luke chapter 3. Let's look at what God tells us. 
It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. Tetrarch just kind of means local ruler, didn't have super much power. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is God's word. Now, I'd understand if you said, Pastor, why did we read verse 1 and half of verse 2. Like, why did Luke give us all that? I think it was a whole slide of just random people who were kind of ruling the area. Like, why did we need to know all that? And I would, I would understand if that's what you thought and you just wanted to brush through it. Okay, let's get to the real stuff here. But the point of those verse and a half, the point of that was to, to show us not everything was all right in Israel. What gave people their sense of completeness and like everything was good in those days, was mainly two things. Their national pride and their religious pride. And both of those things were off. Because the Romans were in charge. Tiberius was the Caesar. And sometimes the Romans let the Jewish people have their own little rulers. But you saw it in Judea, which is where Jerusalem was. It was Pontius Pilate who was in charge. And he was not from Israel. No national pride and their religious pride, there was one high priest. The high priest, the main guy, the, the one who represented all the people to God. But here, there wasn't one. There were two. Because the Romans, they didn't just pick the political leaders, they picked the spiritual, religious leaders. Things were not as they were supposed to be. It was like Luke was saying to the people, hey, look, all your work Everything you've worked for, everything you've hoped for, it is not, it's not how it's supposed to be. All your work, it's all for naught. And so I think that it makes sense that God sent John the Baptist out. He sent him away into the wilderness. It would be like the place in our world where there is absolutely no hope of cell reception or hotspot or Wi-Fi or anything. It'd be the place where somehow magically all technology shuts off and the only method of communication is simple face-to-face -face communication. It makes sense that he sent him away from all the other work that the people of Israel were trying to do. John's message, it was simple. He just said, repent. He said, repent, and the result of, he baptized people which resulted in their repentance and their forgiveness because baptism then was the same as baptism is today. It's not our work. It's not something we do for God. Baptism is God's work. And he says, the result of baptism is repentance, forgiveness, and faith. And repentance, it, it really, it's a very humble message because repentance has nothing to do with you and me either. Repentance simply means acknowledging our sins, being sorry for our sins, and then trusting that Jesus has forgiven us. The two parts of repentance. 
And that is not something that we work in ourselves. It's something that God works in us. That's what Luke said. He said, baptism causes repentance and faith. Repentance is a humble thing. Now, we've talked about this before a few times. Humbleness or humility, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's not when someone complimented your dish on Thanksgiving and you say, oh, oh, it was nothing. It's not that special. It's just my grandma's recipe. I, I didn't do anything. It's not that. Humility is not saying, oh, I'm, I'm worth nothing at all. Don't, don't mind me. I'm just, I'm just nothing. I, I'm, I'm not any good. Like, look at them. They're, they're much better. No, it's not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. Humility is like you just forget about yourself. You don't think highly of yourself. You don't think lowly. You just forget about yourself. And we have humility even in these verses. Here's three examples. Verse three, it says, The word of God came to John. It doesn't say John went out in the wilderness to search for God's word. It doesn't say John went to search for some revelation from God. No, it says the word of God came to John. The action is all God's. It had nothing to do with John. And then verse 4, it says, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. For whom? For him. Not for me. Don't make my life straight. Don't, don't fill in the valleys and bring down the mountains of my life so that it's smooth for me. No, no, no. God, prepare my heart. Fill in the valleys of my heart so that there's a, a straight way for the Jesus to get straight into my heart. It's not about me. It's about him. And verse 6, it says, all people will see God's salvation. Now, I would have expected Luke to say, all people will, say, will see that they are saved or all people will see their Savior. And that would have been totally true. But he doesn't say that. He emphasizes that it's not about me and it's not about you. He says all people will see God's salvation. What's the biggest issue we have as human beings? You could say a bunch of things, but let me propose this. It's that we think too much about ourselves. Think about some of the, the problems, some of the issues in your life. They come from thinking too much about yourself. And certainly there's other sources too, but, but take this in. When you feel guilty because you did something that you know was wrong, but you did it anyway, why do you feel guilty? Well, because in doing the wrong thing, you thought that there was going to be some sort of benefit or some sort of reward for you, even though you knew it was wrong. So you feel guilty, really, because you were thinking about yourself. When you get frustrated and you throw up your hands and say, I just can't take it anymore. Well, really, you're thinking about yourself. When you get annoyed at someone you love, or it could be really anybody, you get annoyed because you're thinking about yourself. If you were thinking about them and just loving them, you might feel a lot of things, but I promise you, you won't be annoyed with them. And when you're worried about the future, you're thinking about yourself. One of the biggest problems we have as humans is that we think too much about ourselves. Now, there was a truly recent book. It was published in September. It's called The Status Game. And it has to do with thinking about yourself. It's by a guy named Will Storr. And a recent interview with him on his book, it summed up his book this way, The Status Game. Listen carefully. It says, Status is in play everywhere. 
being famous, knowing someone famous, getting a laugh after telling a joke, getting a good grade, getting likes on a social media post, winning a video game, cooking a tasty meal, being good-looking, having inside knowledge, sharing a good recommendation. Status is in play everywhere. It says, in every situation when we get the feeling of being of value, and that's the definition of status, by the way, when you feel like you have value. In every situation, when we get the feeling of being of value, we feel ever so slightly elevated in our relative social position. The universal desire for status greatly influences our culture as well as our own behavior and the ups and downs of our mood. Now, that long list of things that give us status or give us value, let's do the Thanksgiving slash Christmas version of that. Having great-looking Christmas decorations making the best food on Thanksgiving and having people say, this was the best. Bringing the highest quality dish to the church potluck the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Making this Christmas the best for your kids. Or really nailing that year-end project for your boss. Having everything go as smoothly as possible. Loving the outfit that you wore in the photo bringing a thoughtful, but also kind of funny, but also meaningful and useful gift to the gift exchange. Some of those examples are more serious than others, but all of them are geared around you feeling value and having status. But let me ask you, did that work last year? Is it going to work this year? How many of the things that you thought of when I said at the beginning four weeks until Christmas, how many of the things you thought of had to do with you? Probably the majority of them. If that stuff worked, we should be the most content people in the history of the world. Think about all the things we can do, the speed of the information, the efficiency with which we can do things. We should be the most content, but... It doesn't work. Status is all about us. But Christianity is all about God and Christmas is all about Jesus. Imagine with me for a minute. Imagine never feeling like you had to prove you were right to someone else. Imagine never even feeling like you had to prove to yourself that you were right. Imagine never feeling like you had to make a good impression on someone. Imagine never feeling like you had to look good. Can you imagine that? The truth is, you don't have to imagine that because that's the way it is. You don't have to worry about how you look to others. You never have to feel like you have to make a good impression or else because it's not about you. And getting status is not the name of the game between Thanksgiving and Christmas or at any other time. You know why? Because John the Baptist went into the wilderness and he said, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And that's what God's word does. It comes and it fills up the valleys of our hearts and it smooths out the bumps that look like mountains so that Jesus can just come straight into your life. It wasn't about... John the Baptist. Christmas is not about you. 
but it is for you. It's not about you, but it is all for you. Because God came from heaven to earth, and there was no naughty or nice list. God came for everybody. He baptized you. He washed you clean of all your sins, which gave you faith and worked repentance in your heart. And like I said to the kids earlier, this means that when you think about not just Christmas when he comes, but at the end of time when he comes or when you meet your end and you die, you don't have to be nervous or afraid at all. Not even a single little bit. Because it's not about you. It's about what Jesus did for you. You don't have to think up an answer for the things that you did wrong. Jesus gave you his answer. He said, here, here's my perfect life. It can be your answer now and forever. Christmas is not about you, not at all, but it is for you. So here's my encouragement. For the next 27 days until Christmas, let it not be anything to do with you at all. God bless you with forgetting about yourself. Let it be all about him. Let it be about the way that he's made into your heart. Let it be about your forgiveness of sins because Christmas isn't about you, but it is for you. Now, a humble Christmas for the next four weeks, it might not look outwardly any different than it would have otherwise. Like, go, do all the things Have the best party. Make it the best Christmas for your kids or for the other people that you love. Bring your best dish to the potluck the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I will enjoy it. Make the best meal. Strive to do the best work that you can for that year-end project for your boss. Do all the things. It might not look any different on the outside, but on the inside, oh, there won't be any pressure because you're not doing it for you. Because you're humble. You have forgotten about yourself. It'll all just be for them. There won't be any status seeking or value needing on your part because you know that you've got the best status, the best value there ever was and there ever will be. You don't need to think about you because Christmas means that God thought about you and is thinking about you, and will never stop thinking about you. And he holds you with the highest value possible. He calls you a forgiven child of his. And there's no better value, there's no better status, there's no better Christmas present there ever is. Christmas isn't about you, but it is for you. Amen.